We are a band of brothers, diverse yet unified, aligned to pursue the truth, resolute in our commitment. We are stronger together, and you are one of us. This is the Brotherhood Podcast. Brothers, welcome to the podcast. Today we get to tune in and listen to our November breakfast with Aaron Davis. Let's tune in and listen to his message to the Brotherhood. Well, I get to interview him. Why don't you introduce yeah. our speaker? Oh, man. So this, is my, this is my connection with, this is a big one, uh, with Aaron, is that Aaron and I went on our first mountain men trip together. And, yeah. you know, I was with Lee and with Brian, and, and we're all sitting around campfire. And I thought I knew Aaron, and we see Aaron around here a lot. Aaron runs a lot of things around here at Church on the Move. But I didn't know the story. I really didn't know his story that well. And when a man completely feels the freedom, which a lot of you, I think, feel, are feeling that more and more to really tell your story, not only, I mean, we were all in tears, we were all incredibly moved, but I was inspired to know that God is one who restores. And I think that's been Aaron's story uh, for a very, very long time. So that's why we really wanted to have him here today. But Aaron, we're grateful that you would uh, open up your heart to us today and be able to share what, is, what God has done in you, what God has brought you through. And then hopefully we'll all walk away saying, man, what God can't do in my heart and what he can't right. fix that's broken in me. So Aaron, we're really glad to have you today. So come on up. Give it up for Aaron Davis, you guys. All right. You ready to do this? We're ready to go. Man, I don't usually have a lot of notes for interview style, but we got a lot of ground to cover. So I'm going to stick a little bit to the notes just so that we can get through everything. But Aaron and I have sat down, what, two or three times now. Three times. Yeah, to to go through this. And every time we do, I get so encouraged for you guys to hear this story. There's something about the power of testimony of what God does really like ground level does in people's lives that absolutely changes them. That's what this story is about. Aaron, tell us a little bit, just quick bio. Yeah. Where you, where you, where you born, grew up a little bit about your family. Talk about that. Yeah. So I am uh, originally from the land of the North. Uh, I hail from Michigan. Now I am, this would be a really good year to be like a Wolverine fan kind of, except for this latest, like, you know, stealing the calls and the plays and all that stuff. (laughs) I've been to a lot of Michigan games, but I've always been an OU fan uh, since I was a, a little kid. And so if you're OSU, I just turned you off completely to what we're going to talk about. Um, so I'm originally from Michigan, uh, married to my wife, Stacy, uh, 21 years ago. We've got two, two kids, Jake mm-hmm. and Allie. My son, Jake, is, is 20, graduated from Lincoln a couple years ago. My daughter, Allie, is uh, 16, and she's a junior uh, at Lincoln. Um, yeah, we, we moved here eight years ago, and so we've been a part of Church of the Move family for eight years in my current capacity, uh, executive pastor of multi-site, helped oversee some of the, uh, the, the support teams that support our churches and, and our school, and so it's, it's a lot of fun. I get yeah. to work with you know, a lot of the guys you see here and some guys in the room. Um, and so it's been, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. You're, you're a true dude. What are some of the st- things you like true to do? True dude. You are. True you're dude. a man's man. Uh, I love, you know, well, Johnny talked about uh, mountain men. I love, I love outdoors. Um, uh, I'm, a, I'm a motorcycle fan, so I love riding my motorcycle. I love just being out, and you can kind of just clear your head. I love getting around some guys that ride motorcycles, and you can just get out and have some uh, just community around that. Yeah. But anything, golf, like I'm yeah. in, um, hiking, Outdoor stuff, man. Yeah. Let's just let's just. What's get your motorcycle? 
My motorcycle is a Ducati. Ducati, yeah. This guy's legit with his motorcycle <laughs> stuff. Yeah, very cool. Okay, I don't want to spend too in. much time in that, but here's the deal. The picture that you paint yeah. is, an accurate, an, is an accurate picture, which is you got a great life. You got an amazing job. You're working in the kingdom. Your family is a healthy, wonderful family. Yeah. I mean, you got it all. I mean, it, from the outside, it looks like that. And, and honestly, that is true today, but it wasn't always that way. Right. Like, talk a little bit about the beginning of your life. Like, what was your childhood like? Because it hasn't always been blessed the way it is now. Yeah. So, you know, this kind of where it starts a little bit is uh, my mom and dad uh, divorced when I was about two or three. And, you know, there's some similar stories, I'm sure, in the room. And that's nothing like earth shattering. But there is a vulnerability to kind of living a life without a dad present. So if that's been your case, whether your dad has passed away or, you know, uh, the divorce situation and maybe you stayed with your mom or whatever. Um, and so that kind of early on started, started to shape a lot of things in my life that I think, you know, as yeah. we get through this, you'll, you'll hear, uh, that I had to really unpack, but, um, early on, you know, uh, Dad leaves, yeah. um, mom and dad separate, and uh, he wasn't really active in, in my life, you know, kind of post that. Um, and then a few years later, you know, just kind of living with single mom, I've got a brother who's 22 months older than me. Um, and so, yeah, like as we're, you know, just starting to grow up a few years later, my mom meets uh, uh, this other guy and they get married. And, mm-hmm. you know, for us, it brought a sense of stability yeah, in, yeah. Into, to, into my life, into my brother's life. And it was, it was a really uh, calming period, yeah. you know, like with a single mom with two young boys. I mean, we bounced around a family. We really didn't have a home. And when this guy comes in, um, you know, his name's Joe, like she marries Joe and just immediately some stability begins to, uh, to sink in. He was a godly man. Uh, I'd grown up in church and stuff like that. So uh, it just it was it was a stabilizing factor for me, I think, yeah. and brought a, a sense of peace and calm. And even a pastor that you guys trusted had introduced Joe to your mom. Yeah, and yeah. It, and so it seemed like God was in this. Like, yes, your dad had left. Yeah, but here comes this man into the picture. He's a godly man. He's a church going man, and uh, it brings this stability. It, it seems like things are going well. But before we talk about what happens next, let's talk a little bit about about Joe. He was actually from Oklahoma, right? He, originally from Oklahoma, yeah. Um, this beautiful, beautiful metropolis out uh, east of here called Stillwell, Oklahoma. Does anybody know that place? <laughs> it's like the Paris of Oklahoma. Lord Jesus. It's like, yeah. Uh, I think there's some scriptural references to some cities in the Bible that remind me of Stillwell. Um, no, um, so he was originally from Stillwell, but at the time he was living in Andrews, Texas. He was, he was an electrician in the oil fields, mm-hmm. working on a lot of, you know, uh, the oil fields there. And so, you know, really uh, good in that way in, yeah. in terms of income. So when we, when he, uh, when they got married, we went from Michigan and moved to Andrews, Texas. Yeah. And so I spent, you know, a couple years in Andrews, Texas and, you know, it was, yeah, it yeah. was, it was a, it was a decent life. And Joe wasn't just like a church going man. He actually had evidence that the call of God yeah. was on his life to the point that when you were eight, you guys took a trip back to Michigan for a specific reason and it had to do with calling on his life. Talk yeah, about that. Yeah, so we were obviously engaged and involved in church a lot and we would see, 
you know, Joe, even though he was in the oil field and stuff like that, he was, he would, he would function in a church as, you know, a pastor or a deacon, you know, if yeah. you think in those kinds of words, like he would, he would do some ministry in the church, um, powerful, you know, I mean, gifted yeah. uh, in that way. And, and, and at that time we started feeling like there was, you know, my mom, I said us, you know, I'm still so little, but uh, they started feeling maybe a little bit of a call back to Michigan. And so we traveled back to Michigan and man, first off, my mom is one of 10 siblings. And so I had like 80 cousins or something. I mean, there was just cousins everywhere yeah. all the time, huge family. And they were all in Michigan. And so we would get to, you know, when we went back to Michigan to explore this option, I was around all my cousins and it was, it was amazing from being separated from them so long. Yeah. And so there's a lot of hope that was building and, yeah. you know, excitement of like, man, we could be doing this. And we started picking out a house and Joe and my mom went to go prayer walk a mm-hmm. city. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the Lord spoke clearly to Joe that he was supposed to plant a church in that city in Michigan. And something happened. Guys, I, I don't, to this day, I don't know. Uh, I know he might have saw a little bit of a vision, but the Lord dropped a scripture in his heart and something changed. And it wasn't like fireworks went off and like, let's get after this. It was he got deathly afraid of something. He got scared of something. And there was an immediate closure of like, no. We, we went back to the house. We put everything we had in this, in this pickup truck. We grabbed all of our stuff and we left. And we didn't go back. We did not go back to Andrews, Texas. We went back to Stillwell, Oklahoma, where he grew up at. And it was really weird for me. It was kind of a surreal moment of like, why not Andrews? You know, eventually he went back and got the stuff that we had in Andrews and brought it to Stillwell. Yeah. But we ran, ran, literally ran from Michigan back to, you know, to Stillwell yeah. and, and put down roots. Yeah, so Aaron and I have had a chance to talk about his story a lot, not just this past few weeks, but for the last several years. That was really a turning point when yeah. everything, Joe had brought a lot of stability. Things were going good in your family. It looked like he was going into ministry to plant a church. It was going to be down the street, you said, from one of your cousins that you got along oh. with really well. You were so excited about being yeah. back around family and just like that, God gives a direct call, speaks mm-hmm. to Joe and says, do this now. And he gets scared and he says no. And he runs away. He doesn't go back to Andrews. He goes back to Stillwell where we all have our family of origin issues. And he goes back into that environment yeah. and some of his baggage from his past. What changed after that in your family? Everything. Man, Everything. The temperature of the home, um, you know, for him, uh, aggression started to, uh, you know, to rise up where things were just tense. Uh, I would say there was more hostility, you know, just yeah. in and around, in and around the house. Uh, you know, if we would be gone a little too long and, you know, all these questions like, where have you been? What have you been doing? Uh, sometimes show up wherever we were at. Like this, I mean, and I'm talking even like if we were at a church function for a little too long. Or after church, you know, back back when I was growing up, it was a big thing. You'd like you go to church, and, and you know the families so of people would go to like, you know, Mazio's Pizza or something. Yeah. You got the little you know yeah. Pac Man machine, and you'd play some games and stuff. Uh, there was just so much tension and hostility yeah. around that that the whole environment of the house just it just changed. Yeah, and it it was stifling a bit, and just. Um, yeah, it just puts you on edge. Yeah. You know, like there, there was now you're you feel like you're walking on eggshells about absolutely everything. Yeah, and and how would that play out? You you said a few things like 
dinner is wrong or whatever, yeah. and what, what might happen? Uh, well, stuff is getting thrown across the, the room. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I remember the kind of the first episode of this was um, plates getting thrown everywhere, trash bag getting pulled out of the trash can, ripped open and just thrown all over the room. And it was like, you know, dinner got put out a little too early, so it was slightly cold or something like mm-hmm. that. And, it, you know, it was like somebody else's fault because he had a delay at work or, you know, he stayed a little too long at work or something mm-hmm. like that. It was just these little things like that, throwing something, yeah. you know, knocking something over. It was just this hostility, yeah. anger, anger building up. Yeah. And what that did, you, you've talked about, like, you and your brother and probably your mom too, and man, I think this is probably true of a lot of you in this room. Don't set him off. Don't set him off. Do everything right. Get it right. Yeah. Don't set Joe off because that's bad for everybody. And especially at first, it was bad for your mom. It was bad for it my mom. It started mostly, yeah. she took the brunt yeah. of everything yeah. from Joe. And that started to change some things inside of you. I mean, you're only like nine yeah. years old. Yeah. About eight or nine. And... Um, you start doing what we all do in that yeah. early adolescence. You start figuring out how things work. Yes. And you start developing what I've heard you talk about, and I think it's super helpful because I think we all do this in our own way. You start developing a winning formula. That's what you call it. What's yeah. the winning formula yeah. to get through this? Talk a little bit about, about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it took many years uh, for, I mean, that, that language is, is not new. Um, uh, a, a good friend of mine, uh, Kevin Neiman, as who actually put the language to it, mm-hmm. and it was super helpful for me. Yeah. And um, this winning formula looks uh, really good, and and I'll tell you, it's it's healthy in some ways. Uh, when you're when you're eight or nine, it's yeah. what protects your heart, and what potentially can protect your physical body from some things. But I started to identify how self preservation could work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could I- identify what what a slight hesitation could mean, and it could mean the difference between a lot of things, uh, uh, verbal you know, abuse or yeah. emotional abuse. And, and, and it's right in and of itself. And, and I think even long-term, uh, I kept that winning formula with me, yeah. in, in, you know, into my teenage years and in twenties. And sometimes that could get leveraged for even, you know, you could leverage it for good. Yeah. I think it helped me with some successes in my, in my twenties, yeah. honestly. And, um, but like, you know, you start to do this, we, we all do it in some capacity or another. Um, whether that's as a child or, or however, mine just started formulating as, as an eight or nine year old to get into some self-preservation and protect me. Um, yeah. it also started to create in me uh, this, a, a bit of perfectionism. Yeah. Like you have to be perfect because if you're not, something's going to get set off. Right. Right. That's right. And, and you use that language, like not allowing gaps was a part of yeah. your winning formula. What did that explain that? Yeah, I think, you know, um, it, it, the, 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 the words of not allowing gaps, I think men in the room would go like, yeah, we don't want gaps. We run to gaps. And yes, that is true. Um, but there is another way to not create gaps, and that's to be stagnant. Yeah. That's to stay put. Like, I'm not going to create any communication gaps, so mm, I'm not going to do this. And, yeah. and, and, and then that, again, that is starting to help with some self-preservation yes. and things that like you don't want to create gaps anywhere because those could mean volatility. Yeah. Keep your head down. Keep your head down. And you even talked about like when you said hesitate specifically, yeah. you would hesitate when Joe was in one of his moods yeah. knowing that if you hesitated, your brother who is older than you would step in and he would take the brunt. Yeah. 
and it's you loved your brother, but you're eight, nine years old. You're just trying to survive. Preservation, man. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and so it becomes I, this. It becomes this reactionary versus proactive. Yeah. Piece is yes. really is really what it does. Like right. n- now, now let me stay here, and you know. Because when you're proactive, like, listen, you're just, you're going to create gaps. And as mm-hmm. a leader, what, you're, what are you going to do is like, you, you're going to go close those. Mm-hmm. But the reverse of that is go, I'm going here and I'm just going to react to everything that, that yeah. comes at me. I want to pause right here and, and say this to you guys. A winning formula sounds like a good thing. You know, you want it in your job. You know, like that, that all sounds good. But if that winning formula was built in a season of your life where you were young and it was built like this to, to, self-preserve in an unhealthy environment. You can be careful because what seems like it's helping you can ultimately become a crutch that holds you back. Think about that for your own winning formula. Are there things about that that you're protecting yourself, you're, you're, you're manipulating other people, that's kind of the way you do it, but it's not built on something healthy. And, and that's what we're gonna see as the story unfolds a little bit here. But the other thing that I want you to see is Aaron's dad walked away and Joe came into the picture and Joe was essentially Aaron's dad. He's kind of the main yeah. dad that you oh, yeah. knew growing up. Yeah. Don't forget, you dads in this room, you are doing so much to shape your children. Your reactions, your aggressiveness, the raising of your voice. I pray to God none of you are throwing plates across the kitchen, but I, yeah. I wonder, you've had bad moments. Listen, you are impacting your children in the way they see God, in the winning formula they're having to put together so that they don't set you off, right? Take seriously, be intentional with your role as a father. Represent God well to them because how they see you will definitely shape how they see God. Yeah. And Aaron had to work through that. Aaron, it, uh, we got to keep going. It gotta, got worse. Gotta, gotta go. It got worse. It did get worse. I'll add real quick with that. Yeah. That, it is. It, it, it shaped my view of God, but it also shaped my view of how I could be a father mm. that I had to wrestle through. I had two bad examples as a dad. Yeah. And I think all, like, this isn't like, oh, poor. Like, I think there's a lot of men in this room that have had poor examples of fathers. That's good. And maybe doubt has entered your mind about how good of a dad you could really be. And I had, I had to wrestle through that myself. Yeah. It did get worse. It's worse. It did get, it, it did get worse. Um, I've got, I've just got a few cornerstone memory. There, yeah. there was a lot of things that transpired. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the things that shaped me most is um, one evening when we came home. So there was a lot of the verbal and emotional and, you know, and I would even say probably, you know, not probably, and I would even say spiritual abuse. Like, let's yes. go back. This man was representing kind of the, the church and, 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 a, and a pastoral role. And I would watch him speak and you know, a lot of things happening at church. Um, but it turned physical. Yeah. And the first time that I vivid, vividly remember that, we, we had come home and for whatever reason, he was set off. And, and, and then, you know, I'm, I'm still a young, you know, young man, you know, nine years old or so. And I remember uh, him grabbing my mom. Uh, he was just irate. He threw her to the ground and kicked her in the ribs and cracked her ribs. And as a young boy, I remember that sound. Yeah. That, the the yeah. air, the lungs, the crack, and it has shaped, it had shaped, from that point on, there was things that happened in me that should have never, ever, ever have happened in me. And that, that was a vivid, like that was a cornerstone moment for me of yeah. just going like, 
this is awful. Like, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen from here. Yeah. And, and rage just increased in our life at that point. Yeah. Um, there was, there was a situation uh, uh, not long after that. I'm, I'm just a little scrawny guy, maybe, you know, 10 years old or something, just real tiny, tiny dude. It, it doesn't look like it now. I get it. Some of you guys are judging me. I was small, all right? Um, we were in a field. We had 160 acres out in Stillwell, and we had horses and stuff like that. And I was supposed to help corral this, the, uh, a mule, actually, and um, I couldn't do it. I was too small. I mean, I was trying to be as big as I could, big as I could. And, you know, it had, it had a, a, a halter on it. And there was a lead rope that Joe was carrying. And the, the mule just blew right past me. I mean, just knocked me over. I'm on the ground. And it takes off running across this field. And I stand up. By the time I stand up, I see the other end, that buckle coming, whipping around. It cracks me in the head and just busts my head open. And he's like, go get the mule. And so I'm running across the field with blood on my face and I stop at a creek and try to wash my face and we get it, we get it corralled up. But that, it, it was in everything. Like at that point, nothing was fun. Life was not fun. Yeah. There was no fun at birthdays or Christmases. Yeah. If you didn't line up the trailer with the truck just right, there was ramifications. If you didn't back the tractor up just perfect, if you didn't bring the right wrench. Guys, I can tell you like, probably down to serial numbers, the distinct differences between a crescent wrench. You know, like, I'm just, I'm just telling you, like, yeah. oh, go get a crescent wrench, and you, you, know, you bring back channel locks. Oops. Go get a vice grips, and you bring back channel locks. Like it was yeah. those types of things. Yeah. It was slap out of the hand and busted in the face constantly over everything. I mean, my brother getting whipped by water hoses. Yeah. Uh, just, I mean, you didn't feed the dogs right. We had some hunting dogs, and if you didn't, I mean, he, sometimes at some points, we felt like he cared for the dogs more than he cared for yeah. us. It was, it was just not fun. It yeah. was miserable in that setting. It strikes me as you're talking that I know some of what Aaron is saying hits really close to home for some of you guys. You grew up the same way. Shouldn't be that way. Shouldn't be that way. Shouldn't be that way. That's right. And there came a point, I mean, your mom, to her credit, she she was trying to be faithful to her husband, but there, there, there did come a point, maybe yeah. longer than it should have, but there yeah. came a point where enough was enough, and she got the courage, and it takes courage to try and run away it from does. a man like Joe. She gets the courage to, to go and talk about that day whenever you guys yeah. decided to, to run from Joe. Yeah, so we had maintained a really good relationship with my dad, my real dad's mom, my grandma Ella. Um, beautiful woman, a, a woman that probably carried me my whole life with her prayers. And um, she was visiting us uh, in Oklahoma at the time. And her, she and my mom were talking about like the right time to go. And while she was there, we had committed to leaving. And so we started to pack up. Joe was at work. We figured out this is the day we were going to go. I'm 12 years old. We figured out this is the day. We start packing up an old brown Ford LTD, like a 1984 Ford LTD that we had. Uh, man, it was just floor to ceiling packed with all of our stuff, you know, our Nintendo and everything, TV, clothes, everything we have in this. And, you know, I talked about the truck when we left uh, Michigan and went back, you know, or went to, to um, Stillwell. We still had that truck. Vividly remember it, you know, Chevy truck white panel on it, yellow up top, yellow on the bottom. I knew the sound of that truck. And we had just gotten the car packed up and I heard the truck coming down the road. And I ran in the house and my eyes were big and I was like, mom, Joe's coming home. And panic just ensued. He pulled in the driveway. He could see through the back window, everything piled up. 
He got out, slammed the door, walked past me, walked past my brother. My mom ran in the house to go call the police. My mom flies out the door first, then the phone flies out the door, and then Joe walks out the door with a .30-06 rifle and just starts shooting, just shoots everything up, shoots the car up. Um, my brother's ducked down behind the car. I crawl over to my grandma's car, and he just goes. He, he just goes on an absolute assault of everything. And once the, the sounds of the bullets stop ringing out, he throws the gun on the ground and looks at us and just shrugged his shoulders and did this. And we grabbed a couple things that we could out of the car that was shot up. I mean, he shot through, I mean, into the engine block, the windshields, uh, the windshield. It, it, it was toast. And so we couldn't drive that car. We grabbed a few things and we sat in our lap and we got in our, 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 my grandma's car. We we're sitting there and he leaned in and said something that I don't, like, I don't know what he said to, to, you know, to my mom. He leaned in and said something to her. Um, and we, we, we left, um, we took off and we drove, I think at that point we, it was cold and rainy. And I think we, we drove to like Salisaw or something. I mean, we, we drove, we drove somewhere. I don't even know where we drove and we tried to get a car top carrier and we headed back to Michigan. So the day I left was 12 years old and we left under, you know, a hail of gunfire. Duress. Yeah. 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 For sure. And that's a weird moment because it's yeah. very traumatic. Yeah. And at the same time, it's relief, too. There was, there was so much relief. I mean, there was, there was tension, and we were scared. But I would tell you, you know, as we made our way, you know, further east and crossed over into Arkansas, I, I would say that, for me, there was, there was, there was a oh, kind of moment when we yeah. crossed over the Arkansas border. Yeah. And I was like, we're, we're out of this. Yeah. And we're, like, and we're not turning back. Yeah. You escaped the trauma. You escaped Joe. But, unfortunately... You didn't escape the wounds no. that were inflicted on you. That's right. And that started you from, you know, you, you entered your teenage years. You guys moved back to Michigan. Yeah. And, um, yeah, for the next, I don't know, what is it? Your whole teenage years and into your early 20s, life's better because you're away from Joe, but you, your relationship with God through that season and kind of the way you were living your life. Talk about that for just a second. Yeah, briefly, it was nothing. I had grown up in church all my life, obviously had these experiences, but there was, it was nothing. Uh, in my teenage years, I went to church out of like, compul- like, I, like I was, I was forced to <laughs> yeah. out of force. Um, I went to, you know, like student ministry or whatever. And I just, I wasn't there. And so it was just a complete turning away from God, like yeah. pursue, pursue my own interests, pursue anything I wanted. Um, I ended up in Florida, um, got, got into, you know, a lifestyle that wasn't like, you know, uh, breaking the law or anything like that. But it was just, it was a, I mean, I was working at a brokerage firm and you could kind of have anything you wanted yeah. in, in a Florida, South Florida brokerage firm and, you know, kind of the, the late nineties there. Like yeah. it was, you know, yeah, it, just by Miami and yeah, it was just, it was a diff- different world. Yeah. And <clears throat> it, it stands to reason that when the person in your life who kind of represents God because they're a church leader and they're your dad, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Easy to say, I don't want any part of that. I don't trust what that's about. And so I'm going to try life, just like living for myself, looking for happiness, looking for pleasure. And you just did that for a while. But into that, you you did feel that God was still whispering to you. You did still still sense that God had not given up on you, even though you were kind of doing your own thing. 
and that kind of catalyzed with a phone call that you got from your mom yeah. about something that had happened that yeah. really smacked you in the face, woke you up. Yeah, uh, it was, it, you know, it was interesting, um, you know, uh, December of that, of the kind of the previous year, uh, I'd already feel, I already felt like, I, man, I, like I'm done with this. I should go, I should go back to Michigan. Mm-hmm. I was wrestling a little bit with um, this tug I kept feeling from God, like to, to go home, to go home. And I, I, my, both of my uncles, you know, were pastors. Um, one uncle's passed away now, but like they're both pastors. And I remember at a family Christmas party, cornering my one uncle who's a pastor, just like literally like begging him to tell me what to do. Like you're, you know, like, come on, man of God, like, you know, you have a direct access, you know, like kind of pushing it off on him. Tell me right. to move back. I'm supposed to do this. And he's like, I'm not telling you anything. And so I, I knew this tug was happening. And so I, I, I got back to Florida. That was in December. I got back to Florida. And in February, I get a phone call. I had a cousin who we grew up together uh, quite a bit. She was a few, you know, a couple years older than me. And uh, she and her husband, her name was Deanna, and her husband, Shane, and their four kids, um, all of them, all of them under uh, six years old. Uh, were in a tragic house fire and it, and it killed all of them. And I remember going like, what, what games am I playing, man? This, there's, there's this finite quality that like, I mean, what am I doing? Really, what am I doing? And I saw the devastation in my family and there was really, you know, really complex and that, and that, you know, my aunt had had a nervous, her mom had had a nervous breakdown and it yeah. was just, I mean, it was, it was a struggle, yeah. a real, a real big struggle. And so, uh, that was a bit of a wake up call. I didn't mean like I jumped up the next morning and I moved back to Michigan. I'm, I'm human and I'm a man. I'm a little stubborn. I'm just like, yeah, okay. There's another thing, whatever. And so it took me a little while, but I ended up going back to Michigan. I ended yeah. up moving back to Michigan and, and getting really serious about pursuing God, yeah. about, about listening to the voice of God and getting connected into a church and starting to do some of those things, you know, just God, okay, I get it. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to follow you. Right. And so you get back around family, but around your uncle's church starts becoming a little bit more important. Yeah. You start getting involved because that's what you do. You yep. know, you, you start getting involved and before you know it, you're working for the church. I'm working for the church. I'm a youth pastor. I am, you know, from there, it's kind of youth pastor over the years, youth pastor, associate pastor, executive pastor. And then we start talking about succession with the church and yeah. for me to take that church over yeah. and, and, and pastor it. Uh, but all the while, kind of in the background, uh, my brother, again, kind of dealing with his own things, he had, he had become a missionary, a full-time missionary in Russia, started a missions organization. And so he was, he was over there and felt like God was calling him to plant a church. And so since I had had some ministry background, he and I were talking a lot. I was kind of helping him set up, you know, uh, you know 501c3 and to kind of structure the church and all that kind of stuff. And my wife and I had started dealing with like, man, there's, I think there's more. Like there's some mm-hmm. options I have here to take this church or we could go do this with church planting. And, and we felt like God was leading us to go plant a church. And, and so, it wasn't just your brother. You're in a unique situation yeah. where, and I have this in my family too, my yeah. grandpa. Yeah. But Aaron and his brother married sisters. Yeah. So Aaron's wife, Stacy, is married to his brother, Adam's, what was it? What's your brother? Kristen. Kristen. Yep. And so brothers and sisters married. So there's a lot of relationship yeah. here. And you make the decision, I'm going for it, outside we're, of Detroit. We're, we're going for it. And so we move about four hours away outside of Detroit, just south of Detroit. Um, and, we, and we plant a church. And we're, we're off and running. Yeah. And, you know, by, again, all, all, all the measurements, all the data, uh, successful. Yeah. I mean, we... 
there, there's something in the church world, you know, they have an outreach magazine and they do fastest growing churches in America and largest churches in America. We never participated in that, but we knew like, you know, the formula that they would do. And uh, we would have been one of the fastest growing churches in America. Yeah. We, we, we grew extremely fast. Uh, we ran really, really hard. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, while it was fun, it was really, really difficult. Yeah, it was. I mean, you guys were reaching tons of people, got yeah. into a building pretty fast. The one thing that was really cool about your church is you had a medical clinic, like, in your lobby. Like, people yeah, in Detroit is, were getting medical pre, care. Yeah, pre-kind of marketplace medical stuff. So there was people walking around with no no medical care. So we opened up a free medical clinic. We started a, um, a, a store a food pantry that operated like a store. You would come in and you would qualify for points and you'd shop with those points. We yeah. started all that in the community and it was it was growing and it was wildly successful. And yeah. we, were re- we were reaching people and yeah. we, were, we were doing the work of, of Jesus. Like, yes. Yeah. And from all metrics in your life, things are yeah. moving up and to the right. Yeah. You're successful. The church is reaching people. Yeah. Kingdom work, everything. But things were not, not as they often are not, yeah. what, they, what they seemed inside of you. That's right. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the ways I describe it is my, my service to Jesus was not fueled out of my relationship with Jesus. And so, you know, not only had we come through a lot of trauma in our life and all of those things, like I was pursuing God and on the surface everything was fine, but I, I still, guys, I still hadn't dealt with, with the crap. I still hadn't dealt with the wounds. I still hadn't dealt with that. And so you, you, you stuff all of that, which is what I was really good at all those years. Yeah. Stuffing, 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 stuffing. You do all of that. And then you get into a situation like that doing ministry and you face burnout. Everything implodes. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. And when you don't pay attention to that, it trickles over into your physical health. What you did a ton of from the day you pulled out of that driveway that with the co- next to the car that was shot to pieces is what I think a lot of us do. It's simply this. Hey, man up and get on with life. Yeah. Man up and get on with life. Now, I'm not saying that that is inherently wrong. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that every time something goes wrong, we need to lay on the couch, cry about it, talk about our feelings. I'm not saying that. There are times, gentlemen, that we do need to man up. But in serious situations like this, that stuffing that Aaron's talking about, you know, we all do it, and it rarely stays stuffed. It usually comes out. It usually comes out in negative ways. It's probably what was happening to Joe, stuff in his life, stuff from his past that he had stuffed, that he had manned up and moved on, and it comes out in anger, right? And so what happens is you just need some kind of a catalyst that breaks you. If you've got all that stuff down, you've been running fast, you've been trying to keep all that crap in the rear view mirror, and that happened, your brother and his wife, their marriage, in the midst of a growing church and everything, he's the senior pastor, you're his right-hand guy, you're an elder in the church, their marriage falls apart. It does. Talk about that for a second. It it, it absolutely collapses, and we, we, you know, it wasn't like infidelity. Uh, Man, they just, they hated each other. And we worked really hard, and it was a struggle for me as, like, as a leadership in the church to go, like, I don't, I don't see biblical grounds for divorce. And there was, a, you know, there was separation between my brother and I. There was separation between my wife and my brother. My, you know, it felt like I was between my brother and my wife, and she's defending her sister. And it was, it was complex. It, it don't even get me you know, going on the complications with my mom. And, you know, my, my real dad by this time was kind of back in the scene and, you know, around and, it was, it just started to get really, really messy yeah. uh, again. 
And this, this was the wall, the kind of hitting of like, hey, we're going to deal with all of this stuff. Go back to the winning formula, guys. Some, in my 20s, I leveraged that for some successes. But I'm telling you right now, like the, trying to use a winning formula when you know, you're in your 30s, yeah. it doesn't work. And you it, crashed. It doesn't work. I crashed. And why wouldn't you? You've you poured your life into this church. It's yeah. a growing church. It's a thriving church. You're responsible to all these people. Yeah. You're, you're an elder, so you can't abide what your brother is doing. Yeah. He's not real happy with you resisting what he's doing. No. The church kind of implodes. Your relationships implode. It all catches up to you, and this results in some serious physical stuff. Serious physical stuff for me. Um, By that time, I had, you know, kind of to expedite the story, I had stepped away from that church, couldn't be there, so I stepped away. I went into kind of just hiding out. I was hiding out at a large church in Toledo, Ohio, and uh, working a corporate job, and, um, you know, the church wanted me to come on staff there or whatever. Eventually, it led to me being on staff. And so at this time, I was on staff at this church. Yeah. And we get into kind of Easter weekend, kind of Super Bowl, if you will, for churches. And it was Good Friday. And I just had an episode. It was early in the morning. Um, I, I woke up in the, you know, like three or four in the morning, felt like I was sick. So I went to the bathroom. And in the, when I got to the bathroom, as soon as I got in there, I just blacked out. I yeah. passed out. Uh, my wife was standing over me going, Aaron, Aaron. And I came to, we went to the emergency room and, um, you know, I was watching the heart rate monitor go down to 40 and then go up to like 90, 92 and then drop. And so it was back and forth. And they were talking about, man, pacemakers and all kinds of stuff. We thought we were having, I was having a heart attack. I did every kind of workup I could possibly do, yeah. but that just sent me on a deal where it was like, my heart was fine, but my, my insides, my physical heart was fine. Yeah. The insides were bad and in, in what was going on in my head. I started dealing with anxiety and panic attacks yeah. and all kinds of stuff. And it, and it was so, miserable. Yeah. And so in the midst of that season, because mm-hmm. it wasn't just like that happened and then you were fine. It was like yeah. you were having these anxiety episodes. Like everything was just at the bottom. You guys decided, you had grown up on Gospel Bill. Yeah. And then several years before, you had come, you and your brother had brought you know, your team to a seeds conference right here. And you tell the story, I'll just summarize it real quick. You're sitting in the auditorium. We finished with worship during a seeds conference. And this guy comes out and he starts talking and you're like, that's gospel bill. Like the first words I said, that's Eugene's voice. <laughs> right. And you were like, I didn't know gospel bill had a church, whatever. You, you, no you, you developed a lo- several years before you developed a love for our church. Yeah. And so you and Stacy decided to, to take a trip down to Oklahoma. Yeah. Talk and, and don't worry about that because yeah. we're we, we we've got at least another six seven minutes. Got it. Um, just real quick, you, you you take this trip and and talk about how that trip led to this Jacob wrestling with God moment in your life. Yeah, when I was when I was hiding out at this mega church, Stacy and I started praying about um, what God wanted to do. You know, God, where do you want us to be at this point? It feels like we've lost everything. We lost our community. We lost our church. Felt like we lost our family to a large degree. Um, all the, all in our neighborhood where we lived, all of our neighbors, we had already been bringing them to church and they were all part of the church. So they were plugged into the church that we had planted. And when all of that fell, like now we're surrounded by people, like it was, it was just, if you've ever been a part of that situation, it was just difficult and it was weird and a challenge, uh, in that way. And so, um, you know, while we were doing that, we're like, Lord, where do you want us? Like we, like we're at a stage in life, like we could literally go anywhere. So you tell us, and we got the word Oklahoma and, you know, my first reaction was going to be going, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm not going there, (laughs) you know, like nothing good comes out of Oklahoma. Sorry. Um, no, but I was just like, man, it's not going to happen. I, you know, and so, uh, 
I, I move, we move past that and we get into yeah. this kind of this, this phase of like, all right, there's got to be something here. And so we decided to take a trip here right after kind of some of that stuff's happening. And, you know, we're driving down the road and legit, this is still kind of all going on. I'm, I'm counting exits between hospitals, guys. I've got my kids in the car. I've got my wife driving. And I'm like, I hope she knows what that unstar button does, like to call medical. Like, I think I'm gonna have a heart attack in this car. Yeah. These are just the things that run through your like mind. If you've been a part of any kind of anxiety in that way, count exits. There's, hey, does she know there's a hospital seven exits back? Like in, in my brain, mm. um, it was just, it was just always going. I was exhausted. Um, and we were coming back. We stopped in St. Louis on the, on the way back, uh, to Michigan. And, you know, we're in a hotel and this, this episode just hits me and I grab my phone. I put in some, uh, AirPods and I start listening to worship. We had just visited here for the first time in that way. And there was, there was this kind of moment when we were here. So I put AirPods in at that hotel, started listening to some worship from church on the move, um, there was a few messages that were on this app, and I started listening to those messages. My wife was pacing the hotel room. My kids were asleep. She's pacing, calling my mom. They're praying. Like, all this stuff was happening. And in that moment, I started to well up and just like, God, I will come to Oklahoma, but I'm not coming like this. Yeah. I need you to show up, and I need you to do something in my life. I can't live like this. Yeah. It's miserable for my wife I know my kids have to feel it. They're not, they, don't, they don't know, but, I, but I'm, the, I'm the father in the home and I'm the, I'm the spiritual authority in the home. And I know what happens to me sets the temperature in my home. So though they may not be able to go like, it's dad's fault, they're going, yeah. something's wrong, something's off. And I was like, yeah. I can't do this. Right. I cannot do this. And this, this led to that Jacob moment of like, I'm gonna wrestle with you and I'm not letting go until I'm free from this. I can't, yeah. I cannot do this. Yeah. I can't do it. And what that led you to was maybe one of the most critical choices in your life. You had a choice to make to go one direction or, I and I don't want to put words in your mouth because I want you to talk about it, but you can, you can either let go or you can repeat the cycle. Just talk about that real quick. Yeah. I, you're stand, you're standing on this crux and I, and I knew like, I, like I could wrestle this out and I could start a path um, you know, uh, one of the things that we've talked about recently, uh, Pastor Witt, if you were here, maybe even this last weekend, he's like, he said, you know, what we settle for is what the next generation has to live in. Mm. And so it was a bit of that moment for me of just kind of going, um, if I, if I don't do this, I know what's going to happen with this cyclical nature. I'm going to go back into this and I'm going to deal with this. I'm probably going to start repeating patterns and habits of my real dad or my stepdad and, uh, or I'll knee jerk react and shut everything off. Like, you know, like no anger, like it's just, you have these choices to make when you're standing at that moment. And when, and one way that you've heard it is like, man, uh, a a familiar captivity, uh, it feels sometimes better than an unfamiliar freedom. And, and you're just going, what am I going to do here? Yeah. What am I going to do here? And that desperation just rises up. I need intimacy with Jesus. Um, I, I need him at this, yeah. at this moment. It was full surrender, and it involved a couple of things that I want you to talk about before we wrap. And that is talking to trusted, wise counsel, yes. including professional Christian counseling yes. and yeah. a brotherhood. Now, yeah. it was predicated on surrender to Jesus to say, at this point, I am choosing Jesus and not the path yeah. that would just perpetuate the cycle. Yes. But that included a couple things. Just talk about that real quick. That, that was step one. I did that that day, and I'll tell you, things subsided. You know, the, the, like God brought freedom into my life. 
Uh, there was another kind of minor episode that started raising up that triggered me going, okay, I, I'm pursuing Jesus with my whole heart. I'm not letting him go. And then the second thing was like, I know kind of a second step to this is I need, I need to find some wise counsel. And for me, that looked like two things. One was a friend I had, it was a pastor that loved me deeply and uh, was extremely wise. And I started talking to him. And the second thing was that uh, I went and sought professional counseling. Mm-hmm. And that, that was another trigger for me. Uh, I remember um, the friend I talked about earlier, a lot of you guys in this room know him, but Kevin Neiman, I sat on his couch. And the first time I sat on his couch, the very first time I sat on his couch, I was not happy. I sat down and the only thing he said to me is, what are you angry about? And I was like, I'm not, there's nothing, I'm like, there's nothing, I'm good. I mean, what are you, that was the repeated question every time. What are you angry about? What are you angry about? I'm not angry, I'm not, I'm not mad. Finally, about six times in, I go, listen, dude, if, if I were angry, like I would be angry about like my real dad, you know, abandoning me and my stepdad beating the crap out of me and my, and I just started listening to all these things and he's over there smiling. And I'm like, you big jerk. Like, <laughs> you hooked me, man. What the? And so, and, and so that, that was a big deal. Yeah. The third step of that, and this is what I would say is like, man, where are you at in this is the third step in that was, um, I got around some, some, some brothers, man. Yeah. I, and for me, uh, I was approaching kind of my 40th birthday. Um, and, uh, I got connected in what Johnny was talking about with a mountain men trip. And it was a pinnacle moment for me, uh, turning, you know, turning 40 and, uh, you know, getting into this moment. And I remember walking into, we do kind of a kickoff meeting up at the 180 uh, building in the upper room. I walk into this space up there and uh, I won't tell you exactly what I said because it's not appropriate at all. But I did walk in the room and looked around at the men and I was like, oh crap. But not crap, but go ahead, yeah. I might get fired if I say it. I want yeah. to say the other one really bad. Uh, oh, crap. This, we're not playing games. The, the men in this room will not allow me to stuff. They're going to call some things out on the table, and they're going to be with me shoulder to shoulder, and I, in return, have to be with them shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the game just went up, and it was one of the best decisions I ever made to get around some brothers that loved me, that would challenge me, that I would challenge, that we could run with. And uh, yeah, and, and through yeah. those things, like from that point on, guys, I'm just telling you, like, uh, we'll expedite this, but like uh, restoration mm. has happened. Mm. I, I, I am restored to, and there was a lot of challenges with this. Joe, that was, that was whatever, you know. Joe, my, like, you know, the way I dealt with that is like, dude, you're, you're an idiot. I can't believe you did this. I forgive you. It's done. And I know that sounds like just kind of brushing it off, like, but I, I was done with Joe. I didn't realize what I would have to deal with with my mom and my real dad. The anger I had at my real dad, that the one man that was supposed to protect me from this stuff didn't. He wasn't there. And then, mom, why did you leave us there? You said you followed God. Did God not tell you, like, get out? Like, what are you waiting on? And so... Yeah. To, to this day, restored relationship with my mom, restored relationship with my real dad. Yeah. My brother and I are, are restored from that stuff that has happened. Yeah. But it's all come through just being desperate for intimacy with Jesus. Yes. Yes. Finding people, like finding someone to talk to and getting in a community of brothers. Yeah. Man, there's more we could say, but we're there's out a of lot. time. There's a lot. Would you guys give it up for Aaron for sharing his story? Man, thank you, brother. I love you, man.